You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. I love sports. I really do. Sports, to me, is such an incredible example. So many just living, breathing situations of spiritual principles being lived out that we get to see firsthand. It's incredible. And this year is a great year for sports. Right? We've got the Super Bowl. We've got the NBA playoffs and finals coming up in a couple months. We've got the Winter Olympics coming up this year. We have the World Cup coming up this year. We've got so many things going on. There are so many examples that we get of sports. And there's a lot to be learned from sports. Parables, lessons. And we're going to delve into that a little bit today. And so I'm not going to use a lot of football jargon, if you will. I'll spare the sisters the jargon. Uh, But I am going to look at a few athletes and just some of their accomplishments as we kind of look at the lesson today. You know, we're in a series right now on wellness, spiritual wellness, and addressing and wanting to be healthy in every aspect of our lives. And so today, we're going to be looking at spiritual habits and how those can shape and mold and powerfully affect not only our wellness, but our future and our lives. You know, when we look at professional athletes, when we look at uh, corporate billionaires, when we look at famous generals or presidents, it's easy to be overwhelmed by their achievements and by the really great, high caliber, incredible, you know, things they've done, the, the wars they've won, the nations they've conquered, the deals they've brokered, the championships they've won, all of these things. But what's even more powerful and what's even more convicting in my mind is looking at the little things. The little things that they consistently do on a daily basis, their personal habits that led them to so much success. My first point today, spiritual habits lead the way. You know, when we think of habits, especially that word, habit, I typically think of bad habits. And I wanted to ask you guys, what are some bad habits? When we think about biting your nails, I do that. Thank you. Thank you for exposing me, bro. I shared that with you in confidence. What else? Bad habits. Come in late to church. Ken, did you say eating potato chips? That's the diet speaking right there. What? Yes, smoking, slouching. I mean, you could go uh, tailgating. None of us are guilty of that in L.A aggressive driving, honk, you know. There's so many things you can be like, well, that's a bad habit. And, and I just wrote a couple down. But intentional habits, the little things that no one sees and that maybe by themselves are not very impressive, are the things that grow into convictions. They are the things that, when fully grown, become greatness. They prepare you for the decisive moments in your life if you allow them to. And we have so many famous stories like this in the sports world. To everyone from L.A., we got Kobe Bryant, five-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP, known for his early mornings and late nights. Chaz, what does that mean? Kobe Bryant is notorious for showing up to practice two hours before anyone else to get his workout in before the team workout that he would then go to. Or his late nights, where he habitually, if he had a really bad night, and he was able, if they were in a away game, sometimes he wasn't able, but 
any time that he was able, if he had a bad shooting night, he would pay the arena to stay late for hours to just work on the shots that he missed. Till the wee hours of the morning, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., with two, you know, one or two ball boys feeding him and just shooting. And you look at his body of work and it speaks for itself. This one's for Ken here and all the San Francisco fans. Jerry Rice. You go, Chaz, I don't, I don't know about football. Let me just, this will be easy for you. So Jerry Rice is widely considered, not even considered, he is, it is fact that he is the greatest wide receiver who has ever lived. And he is widely considered to possibly be the greatest football player who has ever lived. As of 2016, this is two years ago, he still held over 100 NFL records. Which was by far, I think, anywhere within twice as many as the nearest second runner-up NFL records. And he was known, his habit was this notorious off-season schedule. You know, when you're in football, you're in season for, you know, 16 weeks, whatever. If you make it really, you know, you go to the Super Bowl, the preseason, all stuff. But when you're off, most guys rest. You've been getting pounded on by other large, burly men for 16 weeks. You can afford to sleep in a little bit, maybe eat what you want to eat and get some, get some rest. Not for Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice had a notorious six days a week off-season workout schedule that became known as just the most difficult workout schedule in the league, the entire NFL, to the point where players from other teams during the off-season would, would call him up, hey, can I come work out with you? And most of them couldn't finish the day. Most of them left sick by the end of the time that they had spent with Jerry Rice, greatest football player potentially who ever lived. And you look at these things, and, you, and there's stories after stories, generals who studied tactics. I mean, you could just go on through history, and you look at all this, and you go, wow, this is really remarkable. I mean, Jerry Rice did these all on his own. It wasn't under any instruction. He just wanted to be the best. And you look at these things done for a crown that will not last. You know, in 100 years, 200 years, who knows if we'll even still be playing football? Who knows if these sports will even be around? They do these things for halls of fame that in a couple hundred years, again, are, are not going to be around. How much more do we do these things or should we do these things when it comes to our relationship with God? You know, I have another hall of famer here for you guys. Jesus. His body of work. Crucified and rose on the third day, conquered sin, defeated death, kicked Satan to the curb. And what were, what were his habits? Time with God. Every day, early in the morning. Healing the sick. I just looked it up. There were so many passages where that phrase specifically, healing the sick. You must go heal the sick. I have come to heal the sick. I care about healing the sick. And to seek and to save the lost. These were his habits. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, 
and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And if you're reading the book of Mark, this is in chapter 1. This would be something you go, okay, so he got up early one day and he went and he prayed. And then, you know, he went and did his thing. It it might not strike you out of the ordinary. But in Luke chapter 6, we see it again. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated as apostles. It was very easy seeing. I'm picking on prayer here. We're going to talk about why in a little bit. But I'm picking on prayer. It was very easy to see that this was Jesus' habit. When it came to greatness, he said, I must spend time with God. I'm not going to go out and, and go run my reps. I'm not going to go run hills. I'm not going to go lift weights. My lifting weights is spending time with God. That's my workout. That's my preparation. The reality is we become good at the things that we repeatedly do. Right? Even the things that you don't notice. Right? I am right-handed in everything. I write right-handed. I click right-handed. I throw right-handed. I mean, my left hand, I sometimes feel like it is gypped. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is just the most useless It just kind of assists, but it can do nothing by itself. (laughs) I feel bad. But the one thing that I can do really good with my left hand is drive. I don't know why. Yeah, I drive with my right hand. I'm pushing buttons and doing stuff. When I drive with just my right hand, it's kind of scary. Like, I don't like to do it. If I'm, like, leaning on this I don't know why I'm leaning on this side, but if I'm leaning on this side or trying to get in the sun because I'm so pale or like, I don't, whatever it is, like I, I swerve more where my left hand is just steady as can be. I'm like reaching into the back seat, like fumbling with the pacifier, putting it in Emily's mouth with my right hand and driving with my left hand feeling fine. Like this is great. I can do this all day. But we become good at the things that we repeatedly do. Now that's, there's a really good side to that, but there is also a really bad side to that. Because that's not limited specifically to good things. Right? When you think about sin, you become really good at the sin that you repeatedly do. And you look at, uh, you know, if your habit is to look at women lustfully, to look at men lustfully, you're going to be really good at what those habits grow up into. Impurity, pornography, sexual immorality. And for a lot of us, we can wonder, Chaz, why do I have such a hard time, man, getting these certain sins out of my life? I feel hopeless. You're not hopeless. You're just really good at it. You've spent way too much time as a slave to that sin. And it's going to take some major retooling when it comes to your habits and your spiritual life to shake out of that. You know, another thing in sports, and and I'm going to pick on L.A. again. Another thing in sports, especially in the sport of basketball, is it is very hard to retrain the way that you shoot. And we have this, you know, we have this phenomenal UCLA grad who's, uh, or not a grad, but a UCLA player who went to the Lakers, Lonzo Ball. 
right? Lonzo, that's our, that's our guy. And Lonzo Ball has perhaps the ugliest, most horrendous and horrific shot I have ever seen in my life. It is terrible. I mean, like, every commentator goes on the record and they go, this is just the worst. Like, like he shoots the ball and, and like, people cringe. They're like, oh, it just hurts. My, people who love basketball are like, oh, it hurts my heart every time he throws that thing in the air. And they talk about, retra- man, you just need to retrain your shot. But that's so difficult. Because when you've done that for so long, it takes an incredible amount of effort to teach yourself how to do it the right way. And by the same token, if your habits are like Jesus, consistently spending time with God in prayer, consistently spending time in the Scriptures, consistently serving others and looking to meet the needs of those around you, then you will also become good at what that grows up into. Holiness, righteousness, and a life that is pleasing to God. And that's not to say that forming these spiritual habits is easy. I just said, for a while, it's hard. It is going to be hard. But the reality is we cannot give up. And we cannot allow these things to become routine. That's the other danger to a habit. I don't know if any of you are sitting here going, Chaz, habits, though, sound like you lose the heart of it. And you can't. I think for some of us who've been Christians for a long time, man, that is the greatest risk, maybe, of your spiritual habits. Is it just becomes that. You take spiritual off and it just becomes a habit. And spending time with God just becomes a going through the motions. Praying to God just becomes something you do at dinner time. And it's hard to feel like, man, I'm really growing. I'm really still going somewhere. Jesus was the master of this having deep conviction, but keeping his heart in the right place and staying above all connected to God. And when we look at these prayers, it really comes to a head with Jesus in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26 and verse 36 through 39, we see the fruit of Jesus' habit. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there, to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' habit of coming to God in prayer, of humbling himself, as Hebrews says, with reverent submission to God. Ultimately, when game time came, Jesus was ready. And Jesus knew, he had built the convictions, he had built the connection, that when it came time to ultimately fulfill the purpose that God had placed in his life, he was able to, to do so, leading to the greatest victory of all, the conquering of the cross. And this has got to be us. We have got to make sure that we keep our hearts engaged, that our spiritual practices, our spiritual habits 
are building themselves up into conviction. That we have these habits in place. This is a part of your overall wellness, right? When we think about the things we do every day, what do you do spiritually every day? What are you doing to stay connected to God? To keep your heart engaged above all. Because we see that even as our spiritual habits lead the way, right, to conviction, to growth, we also see that God honors godly habits. You know, one of the things I love most about the New Testament is just the book of Acts. I love that. The letters, I love what Paul writes. I love seeing kind of where the churches were at and the different corrections. Like, those are like, you could sit, literally sit down and just read like Galatians and that would be a discipling time. Where you just read it through and you're like, dude, I, I need to grow so much. But when you read the book of Acts, you get to see the first century church, these young Christians, grow up. You get to see them mature in their faith. You get to see kind of what they did, how they processed things, how they matured with God and handled all kinds of different situations, both good and bad, which to me is always very encouraging, especially when they don't handle it so well, then I don't feel so alone, if anyone can relate to me. But when we look at godly habits that the first century church had, it looks startlingly similar to whom they learned it from. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. In Acts 16, verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. And in Acts 16, 16, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And I, sit, I'm, I said earlier that I'm sitting on prayer. I really am. Because I believe that prayer is one of the most, if not the most powerful thing when it comes to keeping your heart soft. Amen. Coming to God, humbling yourself, and praying. When you're feeling really critical, praying for the people that you're having a hard time with. When you're feeling like you're stuck, humbling yourself to a new level. How many of us have prayed recently on our knees? That's incredibly humbling. And you think, oh, come on, that's, that's silly. I mean, people in the Bible did it. When they came before God, they understood lordship. They got on their knees. And even in your room by yourself, To get down on your knees and pray. Man, that is a humbling thing. Prayer is powerful. The disciples learned this from Jesus. And God isn't content to let us just form great habits. You know, Chaz, we just talked about forming great habits. That, that, That is what God wants us to do. That's true. But God isn't just content for you to form those great habits. Because great habits by themselves, if not stretched, actually cap themselves out. The, there was a guy who did a biography on Jerry Rice, right? That greatest football player of all time. And at one point, one of the greatest things that he had to say about Jerry was that in forming his habits, they constantly adapted. And I pulled this little excerpt out of like this biography he did. He says, at some point, however, you reach a certain skill level. 
And simply repeating the same pattern again and again doesn't foster much additional growth. In fact, this is true at any level of skill. Practice in the same way you always have, and you'll get the same results you always have. And that doesn't seem so profound, but for some of us, maybe you've been, you know, we, we, have, we like to call our personal time with God quiet time. So I'm just going to refer to it from here as quiet. You know, you go to a quiet place, free of distraction to get this time with God. For some of us, we've been having our quiet time, our own personal time with God, the exact same way for years. And according to this principle, right, you've been growing or capping at the exact same place as you have since you started. That if your time with God isn't evolving, if it's not becoming something new, if you're not stretching that time, if you're not having more time or different time or deeper time, then there's a very good chance that you may be in the exact same place spiritually ten years from now as you are today. And we wonder why some of these sins or some of these character issues or some of these things that we feel persist through the years. It's not that those things have gotten more difficult. It's that we've not gotten more spiritual. God wants us to constantly be pushing our habits in a new way. To constantly be seeking the excitement. To seek the uncomfortable. To seek these new kind of undiscovered places so that He can come through in a big way when we're stretched. You know, I remember... I'm going to share a Kevin Main story. I remember... Uh, when I was an intern in Orange County, right out of college, and I was being uh, mentored and trained in the ministry by my wife's father, Kevin Maines. And I remember getting there and feeling great and kind of jumping into the ministry and jumping into the mix and things were going really well for a while. And then like clockwork, at a certain point, I just kind of hit a wall. And I remember suddenly I started to become less responsible. As if that were happening to me. Like, no, I, be, I became, like, I started to drop the ball. Responsibility started to slip. I started to forget more things, be overwhelmed by more things. And, and just generally, I felt kind of that I was in a rut, that I had kind of become a loser. And I remember sitting down with Kevin, and this time, this conversation I had with him really changed my life because he started to ask me about my time with God. And he goes, So, how has that changed since you've taken on more responsibility? Uh, not at all. I, can, you know, I consistently read my Bible. I'm consistently praying. I'm, I'm doing all these things. And he looked at me and he said, Chaz, your relationship with God has got to outgrow your level of responsibility at all times. It's got to outgrow your level of maturity. It's got to outgrow the things that are on your plate at any given time. And he started to share with me. Now, this, Kevin Maines had been in the ministry for like 30 years. He started to share with me. He goes, I, I don't spend less time with God the longer that I've been a Christian. I actually have had to spend more time with God just to make it through a day because of my, the responsibilities that I have, the situations that come up, helping different people. And he walked me through his week. Now, I thought I was 
pretty spiritual, and my time with God was, you know, pretty substantial. And he started walking me through just his everyday. His everyday time with God was about four times as long as the time that I was spending. He was spending anywhere from like three to three and a half hours with God a day. Waking up at like 4 a.m. to spend time with God so that at 7 a.m. his day was ready to go. And then on the weekends, when he had more time, those were what he called maintenance time with God. Like, this is the time that just keeps me going during the week. On the weekends are when I actually have my time with God. And then I go into a parking... His favorite thing was to get a coffee from AMPM, which is the worst coffee in the world. <laughs> we were driving home last night, and I was tired, and we stopped at AMPM just... And I said, Kevin, I'm going to do this for you. And it was awful. <laughs> Like, it's flavored in flavors that coffee should not be flavored in, like blueberry and weird, weird things, banana. He would get his AM, PM coffee, and he would pull into a parking garage on the bottom level where it was quiet and dark and kind of recline his seat with his iPad. Again, this is the weekend, so this is like a Saturday morning. And he would spend five hours with God. At least two of which were praying. And he wasn't boasting. He wasn't like, I am so spiritual. He said, if I don't do that, I lose my mind. Like, if I don't do that, I cannot function in what, in, in what God needs me to do. I start blowing people off. I start, you know, all the, he just walked me through kind of everything. I become irritated. I become just a terrible husband. I become super frustrated as a dad. I, be, I become all of those things when I'm not spending this time with God. And how counterintuitive is that, though? Because we think, like, as you get better at something, you should have to do something less. Because I'm just, I'm good at this now. When with God, it is the opposite. Because if that were true, then you would need God less. Right? You're saying to God, God, I've, I've spent enough time with you, I've got this. Which none of us consciously necessarily thinks about, but that's what that communicates. Do we have that kind of reliance on God? I want to read through these three passages with just what happened when these brothers stepped out. Because you look at this, and I'm going to read through. God dropped these situations on these brothers' laps. They were going out, and all of them were just going out to pray. This was a normal day for them. Hey, we went down to the river to pray. We went over here to pray. I was hanging out with this brother. We were praying. And then these situations came up. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those in the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It was a normal, everyday situation until it just dropped in their laps. And this man was miraculously healed. In Acts chapter 16, 
In verse 13, it says, On Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river. We expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of these listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. They went out to pray. Situation got dropped. Shared their faith. She and her whole household became disciples. Were they ready for that? Were they looking for that? No, but they were stretched. And they went with the stretching that God was doing. Finally, in Acts 16, verse 16, it says, Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. She became like their demonic hype man. And even though she was possessed by a demon, she was actually like, you know, telling the truth, which was, I might have just let it ride, getting that kind of endorsement. But says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Right? I mean, he just got tired of, of the noise or whatever it was. Like when Emily is screaming for like 30 plus minutes, you get to this point where you just want to turn around and like, rebuke, rebuke the Spirit. Right? I get it. When Paul's like, I just became so annoyed. I just turned around. This girl was saying good things, but I just rebuked the Spirit out of her. Right? But Paul had no intention, right? Just walking through, sharing their faith, looking for a place of prayer. And this girl was possessed. He turns around and he challenged the sin in the situation. I love that these brothers were minding their own business when God dropped these situations in their laps. And yet because of their habits, because they were imitating Jesus' lifestyle, they were imitating Jesus' routine and keeping their heart engaged, they were ready to answer when the situation came. Westside Church, what kind of situations do you have in your life right now that God has dropped on you that maybe you don't feel prepared to answer? What situations need a miraculous healing? What situations are calling for incredible courage to share your faith? What situations are calling for a radical tack on some of the worst sin that's still hiding out in your heart. God is waiting to bless those who step out on faith. And just like these brothers, if we allow ourselves to be stretched, God is waiting to honor that. And He is going to come in and give us incredible victory if we let it. We must be willing to be led by spiritual habits. And doing so, God will honor us. I want to leave you with these two questions for discussion groups later this week in your small groups, in your family groups, in your midweeks. Number one, how have your daily spiritual habits helped you to grow recently? 
And be honest with yourself. How have your daily spiritual habits, yours, helped you to grow recently? And number two, how should they change in order for you to continue to grow moving forward? And at this time, as we shift over into communion, you know, God has given us, as we talked about Jesus, the perfect habits to follow. And when we look at Jesus' resume, it's hard not to help but be amazed at who he was. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 6, the Bible reads, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we take the bread this morning that represents the body that was broken and the juice that represents the blood that was spilled, let us not lose heart. We have the perfect example and the most perfect habits to follow that Jesus in in every single aspect of his life showed us and demonstrated to us the power of what following God can look like and what God can do with such a life. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much that you do not leave us to our own devices. You didn't throw us into the world to just figure things out. But God, you gave us your word. You gave us a connection with you that cannot be stopped, that cannot be hindered, except by us. That, God, you are unstoppable, and that if we spend that time with you, God, you will form us into exactly what you desire. That, God, there is no sin that we can't overcome. There's no habit that we can't break. There's nothing that can't be healed. There's no situation that can't be completely transformed when we rely on your strength. God, help us to remember that. Help us to draw near to you and to not let your son's sacrifice be in vain as we move forward in this life, walking one step closer to you every single day. I thank you so much, and I pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.